Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. When did we forget how to love? Did it happen suddenly? Or was it a gradual decline? When did we forget the very foundation of the gospel? For God so loved. Love is what moved God to action. Love is what held Jesus to the cross. Love is what rolled away the stone. But we, we've forgotten that part. Without love, we are simply a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal, a bunch of noise. Without love, we are nothing. Is that what people see in us? Meaningless, empty noise? Love is supposed to be patient and kind, gentle, not angry or arrogant. Yet in our effort to stand on truth, we have forgotten the very thing these truths are based on. Love. Never once did Jesus fail in this. Not in his heartbreak or his anger. Not in his joy or his betrayal. His default has always been love. Maybe it's time the church was more like Jesus. Good morning, brethren. You know, sometimes people think that addressing a congregation preaching is not a big deal. But let me tell you something. Every time I prepare for a service, every time I end up struggling with some key questions. And the key questions I'm struggling with is that, am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Am I sharing the right thought? Am I sharing the truth of God correctly the way he would want me to? There is a great deal of responsibility when we share the word of God. And that responsibility is not just in, in terms of preaching, but it's also in terms of sharing it with one another, passing it on to one another. We're all called to do that. We're all called to share the gospel with our families, with our friends. But sometimes I hear people saying, well, I'm not so sure I want to talk about that because I'm not sure I'm going to say the right things. I'm not sure I'm going to do it the right way. So 
how can we be sure? How can we be reassured of the fact that we are indeed talking about God in the right way? We are indeed sharing with our brothers and sisters the Word of God, the Gospel, in the correct way. And once again, Paul comes to come to the rescue. As he was addressing the uh, Colossians, he was addressing some issues that were taking place in their congregation that was being beginning to be influenced by Gnosticism with the uh, concept of secret knowledge or different levels and layers of knowledge or um, actually even legalism that is it's not unexpected because it would then stem from those problems. And as he was addressing those issues, as he was addressing those negative influences in the congregation, he gave them instructions. And part of those instructions is how we can be sure that we are truly firmly rooted in the truth. So let's look at it together, beginning with uh, chapter 2 and verse 6 of the letter to the Colossians. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him up from the dead. <clears throat> when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Well, we hear Paul here sharing a number of different things that can reassure us that we are indeed in harmony with them, that we are truly firmly rooted and established in him. Right at the beginning with verses 6 and 7, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Right there in those two verses, we find seven things that Paul was inspired by God to share with us to ensure that we are indeed uh, firmly rooted in him. First of all, 
that we have received Christ. Now notice it doesn't talk about having received an idea or a doctrine or a new philosophy. It talks about not having received something, but having received someone, and that someone is indeed Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Lord. And so as we have received Christ himself, and we are in him, then Paul tells us to walk in him or to lead our life in a way that is in harmony with Jesus Christ, with our position in him, with us in harmony, with us being in him. And then the third thing is that we've been firmly rooted in Christ. Notice that it doesn't say we firmly rooted ourselves in Christ. Paul was inspired by God to write that we have been firmly rooted. That means that that is an action done by someone else, and that is God himself. Christ himself rooted us in him, and not only rooted in him, but also built up in him. Now, you, you know from even just gardening, for, for a plant to be able to grow healthy, it needs to have good roots. But the roots serve the purpose, the purpose of feeding the plant. The, the roots will absorb the nutrients from the ground and then pass it on to the rest of the plant. And so the plant can then be built up. The plant can indeed grow and be established. And Paul here writes that we are built up in Christ, receiving that nourishment from him through being through the fact that we are rooted in him and as we receive that nourishment then we are built up and of course yes he does use a, a metaphor that comes from constructions and building but the meaning is the same but also established in our faith once again it doesn't say that we establish ourselves in our faith it says that we have been established in our faith by the presence of Christ in us, just as we were instructed. So instruction is part of that picture as well. We need to be instructed. We need to be correctly instructed in the Word of God. And as we are instructed, we are to overflow with gratitude, because that instruction is truly indeed precious. There is absolutely nothing in the whole world that is more precious than being instructed in the truth of the gospel, than being instructed in, in the truth, in the good news, in the gospel, that we are indeed one with Christ. So those are the seven things that Paul tells us in writing these two verses, that we have received Christ, and because we have received Christ, we are able and expected to walk in him or um, to lead our life in a way that is in harmony and consistent with him. The third thing is that we have been firmly rooted in Christ. The fourth, that we're built up in him. The fifth, that we're established in our, in, in our faith, faith in Christ. So trust in God is definitely vital and important in that, making sure that we are where we need to be. And then the instruction and receiving the instruction 
with a great deal of gratitude is what Paul stresses here. Let's go to verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. So now we have a, uh, a contrast here. Um, Paul had just talked about walking in Christ, being solidly rooted in Him, growing in Christ, established in the faith, and uh, receiving the instruction with gratitude. But now he's contrasting that with some of the influences that were being felt in a Colossian church, um, like legalism um, and the, the concept of the, 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 the religion of Gnosticism. It warns us, he warns us to not allow anyone to take us captive through philosophy and empty deception. You know, brethren, there are, there are so many things that people are giving away as part of Christianity which are not Christian at all. And uh, one of the things that I'm reminded as I'm thinking of this is some of the classes that I had to take um, in, in part of my training. Now, the seminaries are supposed to, you would, you would assume, the seminaries are supposed to teach God's Word and on the basis of God's Word, and in many ways they do. But there are some classes that are being taught that are not from God's Word. They're actually from philosophies that are prevalent in this world. There are psychologies and philosophies that actually stem from an assumption that there is no God, period. Now, I, I have a problem with that. Because how can I reconcile my Christian faith with a doctrine, with an idea, with a principle that starts out with the assumption that there is no God? Now you can try to Christianize that as much as you want, but when you start out an idea with the assumption that there is no God, it's very difficult to harmonize it with the Gospel. Because the Gospel is about Christ. And if, they, if there is no God, there is no Christ. So Paul warns us against that. He tells us, be careful, because those philosophies, those deceptions, as he calls them, sound logical. They sound appealing. In many cases, they are appealing. But in that appeal, there is that deception. It sounds right, it sounds good, but they're according to the tradition of men according to the things of this world, not as that, according to the elementary principles of the world. They are not from God, but they are from the things of this world. They are from the things of this earth, according to the physical and elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Now that's an important key, because this world and the things of this world, they don't know God. This world does not God know God. And if it knows God, it doesn't acknowledge God the way it should be acknowledged. The wisdom that we may receive from these sources, a wisdom without Christ, 
is nothing but an empty idol. And it leaves us empty. But, as we think about an empty idol, compare that with verses 9 and 10. For in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and all authority. Well, that's interesting. The philosophies of this world that are based and built on, on the physical world only, if you see it and you touch it, it's true. If you can't see it and touch it, it's not true. Well, those are now in contraposition with the fact that while they're nothing but empty idols, in Christ we full we have the fullness of God. So now, if you want an important statement, a key statement that confirms the fact that Christ was fully God as well as fully man. You find it right here in verse 9. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus Christ was indeed fully God as well as fully human. But notice that in that fullness of Christ and in that communion that we have with Christ, in him you have been made complete. Now, it doesn't say, and I want to stress that because we tend to think too much in that direction, it doesn't say we have made ourselves complete. It says in him we have been made complete. It is something that was done to us. It's a transformation that God works out in us as we are in communion and in oneness with Jesus Christ who is the head over all rule and all authority. So in the fullness of a deity, in the fullness of God that is present in our communion, we also have been made complete. We cannot be complete in ourselves. And it doesn't make any sense that we would even consider that possibility of being complete in ourselves because how can we be? How can we, limited, mortal, frail human beings, think of being full and complete, as Paul talks about here? But let's look at verses 11 and 12. And in him you were also circumcised, with a circumcision made without hand in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up, with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. In him, once again, notice how many times Paul stresses that, in him, in him, in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hand. So he's not talking about the circumcision of the flesh. He's not talking about the circumcision <coughs> that consists in removing some skin. He's talking about the circumcision that God is producing in us, the removal of a body of a flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, the removal of a sinful nature, the removal of a carnal nature being then replaced in the Holy Spirit by the very presence of God in us. 
And <clears throat> it reminds us of the symbolism of baptism. Because it tells us, having been buried with him in baptism, baptism is symbolic, first of all, of our death to ourselves. And as we partake in a baptism and we are immersed in the water, then it becomes a symbol of our burial with Christ. We are dead to ourselves, buried and participating in the, in the death of Jesus Christ, in the burial of Jesus Christ. But then, of course, we don't, when we baptize someone, we, we're not going to leave you under the water, especially to see how long you can last. We, we're going to lift you up, right? We're going to lift you up. And as we lift you up, it becomes a symbol of our newness of life, the resurrection of Christ is depicted there. Christ died for us. He was buried for us. He also rose for us to live with us, in us, and for us. And so we are now in that participation. We are renewed to a newness of life, buried with, with him in baptism, but also, as Paul wrote here, raised up with him through faith in the working of God. Now, through faith, not in what we can do. Through faith, not in how good we can be. And, and here we go to, to a phrase that is often used by Christians in their prayers. God, please help me to work it up. Help me to accomplish that. But you know, that prayer is not according to God's word. Because God's word here says that we need to have trust, yes, faith, yes, but in the working of God, not in our own working with God's help. God help me to accomplish that implies that we do that work and God helps us in the process. But here it's the opposite. God is the one doing the work and we trust him because we can trust the fact that he raised Christ from the dead. And as he raised Christ from the dead, then God can maintain and fulfill the promise that he made to us to raise us from the dead. We have hope in him. We have certainty in him. But it is certainty and hope and faith in the working of God. Now listen, I cannot bring myself up from the dead by a long shot. There's no way. But God can. I cannot redeem myself, but God has and so we can trust in the working of God. We can trust God because God has demonstrated that he wants to give us life. And that life is in Christ. Now, verses, verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. So now notice the, it closes the circle. He talked about this true circumcision that is being made complete in him, circumcised with a circumcision without hands, a circumcision that God himself fulfills and accomplishes spiritually in us by removing, like what he, we're warned about against here in verse 13, removing from us 
our transgression, the uncircumcision of our flesh. Notice that that uncircumcision reflects or, or meaning is, means the transgressions that we have lived in, our carnality our, is our in uncircumcision. And God has removed it and has used the, the symbol of baptism to depict and, and to illustrate that removal from us, the fact that we now have a newness of life. In fact, he says, he made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven all of our transgressions. And now it doesn't say having forgiven only some of the transgressions. It says having forgiven us all of our transgressions, he has made us alive together with them. Notice the past tense. It doesn't say he will make you alive in him. He said he made you alive together with Christ. The work of Jesus Christ is a work that is accomplished and is done. Verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Basically, what that means is the obvious. We are debt free. You know, a certificate of debt you probably signed a few in your in in your in the course of your life. You bought a house or you bought a car or you bought some other things and you didn't pay for it fully at the beginning. So you probably signed a declaration or a certificate of debt that stated I owe you this money and I'm going to repay this money to you in this way with you know with certain payments made at certain times. Well, it, it, the concept that Paul uses is very similar to that. We have a debt toward God. Our sinfulness is a debt with God. But that has been removed. The certificate of debt has been canceled, has been removed. It was hostile to us because it, it was showing that really all that we deserve is, is death and destruction, but it has been removed, being nailed to the cross. Notice that statement, <clears throat> having nailed it to the cross. Now it would make us think about this piece of paper, the certificate of debt being put on the cross and nailed on the cross, but what indeed was nailed on the cross. There was a sign that Pilate wanted to put in there. And that sign said in, in, in I forget if it was three or four languages, the king of the Jews. Not a note, a note of, of debt, but there was no other sign posted on the cross. What was nailed on the cross, however, was Jesus Christ himself. And so how do we understand this? We understand that Christ himself was nailed to the cross to take out that indebtedness that we have with God. Our debt with God was fully paid by Jesus Christ. In fact, elsewhere the Apostle Paul reminds us that Jesus 
took upon himself our sinfulness. He, made, he took our sinfulness and made it his own so that he could carry that to the cross so that we can have forgiveness in him. Verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, that is, through Jesus Christ. So here, pretty much all the scholars agree that in the context it's very clear that those rulers and authorities are evil authorities, evil powers. And so the evil powers have been disarmed, have been the, the weapon that they would use to kill us have been has been removed from them. And the weapon is the weapon of sin, the sinfulness. And as we are redeemed, those authorities, those evil um, authorities, have been taken away the, the one weapon with which they would kill us, and that our sinfulness, which has been taken by Christ, has been paid for by Christ. And so Christ made a public display of them, having triumphed over them. And God triumphs over all evil and all sin through Christ. So brethren, what, what do we understand from all this? Well, first of all, the fact that we have received Christ. We have been rooted in Christ. And we need to remain rooted in Christ. We can't be rooted in Christ and then take as a premise something that is non-Christian. Because if our premise is not Christ, then it's not right. We can't look at the world as if it's, there is nothing but physical things in a materialistic way and then and then believe in God, who is no material. We are in Christ. And in Christ, we are ex expected to grow. We're not expected to stagnate. We are called to grow in Christ. But as we grow in Christ, we need to understand that growth is not coming from our efforts. That growth comes from God. God produces that growth in us. God produces it and God will see to it that it will be accomplished and fulfilled as we remain firmly rooted in Christ, as we don't allow anybody, anyone, take us, taking us captive through philosophies and empty deceptions that have nothing to do with Christ. If you really want to understand the world, if you really want to understand the purpose of life, if you really want to understand your own humanity, you need to look at Christ Jesus. From whom the entire body receives then the opportunity to participate in who God is. Remember, God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 16 makes it very, very clear. It actually states God is love. So if we are in Christ, in Christ uh, we find the fullness of God, we also find the fullness of the love of God expressed. 
And so we are called to be part of that body. And as we are part of that body, the body of Christ, the church, we are also given the opportunity to express that love. First of all, to receive it as we receive it from God. And, and that makes me think of the sufficiency of that. Because so many times we want to be loved in other ways. Everyone wants to be loved. But we look for that love in all the wrong places. And in places where we only have a small amount, a small quantity, a small percentage, if you want to put it that way, of that love. But in God, God is infinite. God has no limit. God loves infinitely. And that His love will never run out. So if we receive his love, we have the fullness of that love available to us and being poured in our hearts by the very presence of God in our hearts, the Holy Spirit. And so we have the opportunity to receive that love, being filled with that love that then overflows from us to be expressed to, in serving one another, giving to one another by expressing that love that God pours in our hearts. And that's how we know. That's how we know that we are still deeply rooted in Christ. That's how we know that we still are okay and correct. That we may not be perfect and never will be perfect, but we are at least in line with God. We are in harmony with God. If we are rooted in Christ, that means we don't allow anything else to, to modify our thinking, to be the source of our thinking besides what is true in Christ. Not the philosophies or the deceptions of this world, but Christ is the answer. And as we are rooted in that way, then we can see the love of God at work in and through us being expressed toward one another. That's how we know that we are okay. Maybe not perfect, but okay. God bless you. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me, rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. For you are my strength. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. May the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord and Shepherd, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in you that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the transforming work of your Holy Spirit, that we may love you and magnify your holy name. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.